Okay. I'm here for it. Uh, I could not find where my mouse was on my screens. So. Is that what you were doing for two whole minutes, <laughs> finding your mouse like an old man? You have to be kidding me. I alt-tabbed. You made us wait. I alt-tabbed, and I was moving my my orientation of my screen with my keyboard, like left, 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 left. You know this is going to be the intro for the pod. I'm going <laughs> to include the audio of you finding um, your fucking mouse. And I you know how we you know this. This is your fault, Zay. This is your every fault. episode we gripe about being old, and this is just adding to the stereotype. Motherfucker can't find his mouse. You're old. I need to turn on that feature when you hit Control, and it like flashes your mouse. I like <laughs> I I share my screen a lot. I have like the giant old person mouse all the time. Oh yeah. Oh my god. I need some of that. Yeah, and especially if you like present a lot for work. You need to be able to show. It's really good because yeah. yeah, people can see what you're doing on your screen. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna start implementing this. Next time. Big mouse, small brain. What's up? No, no, big brain, small talk. Let's go. All right. Hey, guys. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. How's it going? Tell me. How's it going, guys? Yeah. Saurabh, you doing good? Just, uh, you know, beat the freeze. Got the uh, flight out on the 22nd and back on the 25th. So basically avoided the hey. worst of it and came back to no burst pipe. So I'll call hey. that a win. We're so needy. You like immediately land and we're like, hey, is it pod time? Like, are you done? I know you just came from a trip, but we need you. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> the pod comes above all else. All else. I love it. All right. Today's topic Urban planning, you know, we couldn't put like perfect words around what we're going to talk about, but urban planning is what we landed on and we'll get there. But start it off. We'll go around the horn. Everyone can talk about something interesting going on in their life. And if they're sipping on something, Sora, would you like to go first? So I do I have to make an interjection first. All right, let's go. Like we, we went with <laughs> urban planning, right? But the thing to be careful about is urban planning is sometimes like dog whistle for like extreme nimbyism mm. so just just to put things out there the stance i'm taking is de-urbanization <laughs> not urban planning wow. maybe that's the vibe though maybe we are extreme nimbyism let's find out all right uh Zorb, anything interesting going on in your life you want to share something with the pod yeah no i thought i know you guys do the drink thing yeah so earlier this week um you know we drove out to portland because you know, tax-free shopping, why <laughs> okay. not, right before Christmas, buy some gifts, nice. save some money. Um, so, you know, having breakfast at the hotel, you know, being a little bougie, I ordered a cup of Earl ah. Grey. And now they said, they're like, oh, we don't have Earl Grey, we have Lord what? Bergamot. I don't know if you guys have ever had it. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll try it. You know, they recommended the next closest thing. And I should you not. So I, I wrote this description down because I thought it'd be interesting. It says... This is on the like the packet of the tea bag, right? It says a flavor somewhat superior to traditional Earl Grey. <laughs> oh my god! Right? Targeted. And like, and I would hate to like it, but I have to say that it is in fact better than oh a traditional. Oh my god! Earl Grey. Lives up to the hype. So, can we plug your tea maker? You know how like people have like fancy espresso machines, fancy coffee machines. Yeah. Saurabh's house has the most beautiful, elegant, like automated tea making machine. It bougie. I like. Oh, man. Can you link that to me? Sonia's a big tea drinker, and I have a Keurig, so I feel like she's left out. We use just an electric kettle for her. Yeah, we're, like, fighting for a counter space between the Keurig and the tea maker. There's another world out there. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm, I'm ready for it. Every week we fight it out. That's the week that someone gets a tea or someone gets a coffee. One of them wins. Sagar, hit us. What's up? How's life? Um, so my drink of choice this week, uh, I had some Chipotle for dinner. Oof. And I feel like there are a few meals where I need a beverage uh, with the meal. Otherwise, it just doesn't feel complete. So I have a mini Diet Coke. <laughs> I feel like it's very good for hand for scale, portion <laughs> control. But if I have a Chipotle or if I have a pizza without a Diet Coke or like a soda, it just doesn't feel complete. So for today, that is what I'm rocking. I spend extra. The Indian in me hates buying these because the per ounce cost is high. But sometimes for the health, you just got to do what you got to do. And this is ultimate portion control. Um, for my fun fact or my interesting thing, friends, we're flipping it around. Ooh-hoo. So every week for our listeners who know... Zane always gripes about something and I try to educate because that's just our personalities. But this week, um, for those folks that have traveled, not to date when we recorded this, but it's around Christmas, um, I'm I'm going to gripe about the airline industry. Do it. Saurabh just mentioned earlier, he was able to miss the storm and you know in and out fine. And I will say I flew earlier this week, got to Dallas on a delayed flight from Austin. Mm. But uh, my plan was to go to Chicago this week and hang out with some friends. I got my check-in notification for Southwest earlier today. Or yeah, earlier today, my flight's out tomorrow. Check back in, see what's what. Flight is straight canceled. No no notification. Not not a ping alert on the app. Not an email was sent. Nothing. Nothing to tell me my flight was canceled. So if I hadn't checked my app, I straight up would have been at the airport tomorrow and my flight wouldn't have been there. Um, but my main gripe is I feel like weather, sure, excusable, I get it, things happen. There are no crew to fly the planes and to attend to them, and that is why my flight was canceled. So my gripe is with the airline industry, if we have any folks that work in there, what do you guys think the annual revenue is for the airline industry in just the United States? I'll give you a hint so you don't sound stupid. It's in the billions. Zane, I know you're about to say <laughs> like, yes! Yeah. <laughs> some stupid number yeah. <laughs> every airline in the united states just like a a rough estimate of revenue just guess i mean every american airline uh combined i think 10 15 billion okay okay sarab do you want to throw a guess out there i said closer to like 80 billion Oof. yeah so i mean covid covid drop stuff out rough estimates are between 100 and 150 billion over the last few years <sighs> 100 to 150 billion dollars and they cannot coordinate how to get the right people in the right place. Uh, an entire industry dedicated on logistics and operations. Every flight to Chicago from Austin is canceled from now until Saturday. So for four days, they couldn't figure out how to staff a plane Eek. to get to Chicago. Man, that is brutal. That And rant. The fact that you didn't get notified is really annoying. Like, sure, I can understand if like random cancellations happen, but like being informed... Yeah. Is the most important thing. It's like when friends bail on me when I have plans. Friends, those friends who know that they bail on me, I'm calling you out. Those bailers. <laughs> no email, no app notification. Just let me know. Airline, let me know. Nameless friend. You know, the, I, I feel yeah. like personally attacked by this. Because <laughs> I, no, because it, it, I, I get it. it's a failure of the airline industry. But like, you know, realistically, I have this um, axiom I live life by, which mm. is never attribute to malice, which you can incompetence. Right? Ah. I usually use it for people, but like in this context, let's take like, you know, five whys, what went wrong? First why, I'm willing to bet mm. they had so many cancellations 
that there's some cascading failure that meant all their notifications stopped going out. And I'm like, fuck, uh, it's us, the folks who write software who ruined it. Rip! 100%. <laughs> it has to be. It has to be, right? And I, I'll say, I, I've recently g- gone into consulting the service and sales excellence contact center work. I dialed the 1-800 number straight busy dial tone. I cannot tell you the last time I got a busy dial yeah. tone when I dialed a number, especially a corporate number. Straight busy. Mm. Took me six tries just to get a ring. Oh, boy. Incompetence. Boy, oh boy. All right. I'm going to go. I'm going to keep it really quick. What is my drink of the week? I went ethnic. It is fruity. F-R-O-O-T-I. Let's go. It's a yummy mango drink from the motherland, and I love it, and I'm here for it. I actually don't ever buy these. My mother bought them for me. I'm in Houston, and I love it. I'm here for the love. Fruity. Um, like Sagar said, I usually gripe. I'm going to try and be educational today, but it's still a little bit of a gripe. But it's not news. It's not something that Sagar and Saurabh are going to have to guess or our listeners. But can we talk about the absurd amount of investment that went into this year's World Cup? The World Cup recently wrapped up. Mm. My goodness, Qatar spent $200 billion in excess of that for their World Cup. The next most expensive was under 20 billion, which is an order of magnitude different. That's insane. That's just wild that they built that kind of infrastructure, which included like eight stadiums, a whole bunch of hotels, and even those hotels that were meant to accommodate all the, the visitors. What I read was almost 80% of hotel capacity for the country was dedicated to FIFA, officials, players, guests, etc. not even spectators. Only 20% of capacity was meant for spectators. Then they had all these random like shipping container type living situations and people had to cross border from like Dubai and stuff like that. It was just wild. Um, can I, go ahead. Can I offer, can I offer one really dark comment and then one hopeful comment? Oh my God. Really fast. All right, bring it. So dollar, I saw that figure. It shocked me by the way. Yeah. But I feel like this was the first FIFA World Cup where another unit of resources expended was lives. Yeah. And that to me was really scary. Mm. Like thousands. We've never talked about like what it, like you shouldn't need to be talking about deaths in constructing a FIFA infrastructure. And I feel like that was rampant. On the hopeful hopeful side of things, I did read, and I want to look into this more. I, I think they built one of the stadiums in a very sustainable way in which they could deconstruct and reuse or move. And I feel like that was actually a really cool advancement in this whole idea of like Olympics and FIFA and huge tournaments so yeah the skeptic in me is like that seems like something that's just news and won't ever be practical or put into into good use fair but yeah that that is one impressive thing that came out of it so tbd all right let's switch gears let's talk about today's topic urban planning or as you know sora put it into context we usually like to put things in terms of a hot take So what we'll do is we're going to run through all the different thoughts we have about urban planning. But hot take for the day is urban expansion in America, high level at a macro level across the board, failing. And does this mean, you know, city infrastructure is not being put in place? Growth is not being put in the right place. um, NIMBYism is rampant. There's not affordable housing. Gentrification is a problem. We're going to go through a bunch of topics, but the hot take for the day is the future of urban expansion and growth looking bright, or are we failing across the board? Um, Saurabh, give us a little bit of a tidbit. What are your thoughts? Where do we want to take this? How do we want to start? What do you think? So look at the United States and especially 
I'm I'm probably going to get this wrong. I forget when we got the like the interstate system in place, right? Yeah. You know, boon for expansion, a lot of cities, a lot of interstate commerce. But the thing that we got wrong is we built cities around uh, freeways, right? Mm. And if you think about it, what you'd consider like valuable real estate that not like forget the monetary thing that things that people would like to enjoy like you know waterfronts or along the river i get it's easier to build interstates there and it made sense at the time but now you know you have valuable waterfront lost lanes of traffic loud noise where it should be resources for the city for people to enjoy yeah and i I think that's you know part of the problem that we have totally we do have you know redevelopment uh, and even when, you know, we have the right policies or intent in mind, even then we get it wrong. I'll, I'll give you the example of Chicago, right? So Chicago did this really nice thing, which is the entire uh, waterfront property is owned by the city. So it's not like private billionaires enjoying it. Hmm. But what did they do? They put fucking Lakeshore Drive. They just put six lanes of traffic oh. and like wasted the entire waterfront. <laughs> Street. So, yeah. you know, we can use that as a starting point, but I think... What we should look at is how can we equitably use resources and make it possible for people to enjoy. That's fair. Sagar, what's your take? You know, I think that, uh, that that's that's a great take. One of the angles I'd love to explore, and I struggle with this and would love to dig into it, is like, what's the role of government in this? Like, what's their maximizing function in city planning? Mm. And then to what extent... Do they have the resources to execute on a plan or need to go private because folks can just specialize and do things more efficiently or for a cheaper cost? And I struggle to basically ever see like a city say, yes, we can do this better. I feel like so much has been privatized and so much is monetary based that I feel like that, like what should people enjoy? What's the purpose of the government in providing utility to their citizens? Like, I just don't see that anymore. And we can talk about our cities specifically, but in Austin, I feel like it's just so rough to see every wrong turn that the city is making, all of the new buildings and skyscrapers that are coming up. We had a huge homelessness population issue during the pandemic that I feel like was just shoved to the side and it's just going to re- appear later um yeah that that role of the government to me is just super interesting because i i feel like i've just not seen a lot of successes Mm, that's fair all right so i like talking about the role of the government and what should be public versus private i think like an easy low-hanging fruit topic related to that is public transportation and i think we've all got some takes on that um i grew up in houston non-existent Um, in Seattle now. And I think I've got like a decent opinion of the public transport system there. Quick story, like I went and visited Saurabh uh, in Seattle before I moved there this summer. And I was like, adamant, give me your bus pass. I want to go ride the bus. (laughs) I was like, what is it like? I'm going to LA Fitness. It's not far. Saurabh is like, take my car. Like, nah, I want to take the bus. (laughs) And I did. And it felt pretty efficient. It didn't feel extremely sketch, but there were some sketch aspects. Um, and then they also have the link, right? Which is their rail system, which they're like heavily expanding. So what is the role of the public government there? I think that type of public infrastructure is really important. I think the light rail for Seattle is pretty fantastic. I've, I've complained about it before on a previous pod, but like that's one thing I think Seattle has done very well compared to 
I think Dallas, for example, I don't know how useful the dart is by comparison. Houston doesn't have anything. The metro on like the light rail in the city is a joke, but um, I think Seattle's done a fantastic job with that. What do you think, Saurabh, about public transport in, in Seattle as a whole? Yeah, so so for me, I you know lived in the Seattle, the larger Seattle metroplex for about seven years. Always had a car, right? Uh, and you know when the pandemic hit, we're two people household, two cars, didn't really need it. Sold my car, you know, rode the wave of getting a little more money back. Heck yeah. Uh, and then, you know, even when we bought a house, we're like, okay, we need to buy a house with a two-car garage. Okay? <laughs> that was my hill to die on. And trust me, it was very difficult to find. The house we ended up buying was the only two-car garage house we saw yeah. in an entire three months of searching for a home. Wow. So, you know, that was my hill to die on. Did that. But, like, we mm. still didn't have the second car. I right? had sold it during the pandemic. <laughs> uh, start my new job. Funnily enough, I work for Uber, right? The irony. Let's you know, go. The exact opposite. Not, not public transit. <laughs> and my new workplace is in downtown Seattle. Mm. So I said, okay, let's let's try the bus. There's a bus stop, you know, a couple blocks from my home. Zane's aware. Zane's taken that same bus to LA Fitness. Yes. Uh, and I'm like, okay, let me just take the bus into work because the alternative is buy a car <laughs> and then pay $35 a day every day to park, which Ouch. seems oh absurd. Um, Starting the bus and then I'm like, hell, I can get behind this. Yeah, It actually works pretty well. Um, and, you know, bef- before I like start griping about Seattle's public transit system, probably say like, you know, you take a couple of Metroplex, that, like take like the New York's out of the equation. Yeah. Uh, and take let's just take you know like Toronto and some other cities. It's probably got one of the best public transit city, uh, systems in North America. Yeah, yeah. This, I just want to give it some like you know before you tear it down points before I start to shit all <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah, let's hear the rest. Let's hear the rest. Hold on. Okay, so fundamentally, like the issue with the way we build out suburbs right here, like vast expanses of land, is it's very hard to cover the last mile logistics. Mm. Right, it's just not efficient to put bus routes or train routes mm. that will stop in front of everyone's homes. At that point, it becomes inefficient. So, like while public transit can solve it, it needs to be coupled with the right zoning laws, the right zoning infrastructure. So Seattle has this thing, and I'll I'll throw in Zane's favorite word here. Hey, uh, Seattle is primarily zoned for single family, but one of the one of the provisions is, and I guess this is like I guess more progressive than like say California NIMBYs is every single family zoned parcel of land can also have an ADU on it. So at least we're like, okay, doubling the housing density. And then only along major arterial roads does Seattle zone for multifamily dwelling. So think about your apartments, things like that. And the bus routes today pretty much cover most of the major arterial roads. So like last mile logistics continue to be like difficult. Like getting from like, you know, your home to a friend's home may be difficult if you're in the suburbs. But as long as you're on one of those arterials, you can totally do it. You can totally get there. Uh, you know, Zane was talking about the link. Seattle's been, you know, investing heavily in expanding the light rail. Uh, it used to only serve the city of Seattle. There's an expansion plan that's going to take it uh, north of King County into Snohomish County. So all the way to Linwood. It's in, mm. you know, like service close to another million people more. It's heading out east to Bellevue, Redmond. That's probably another like 
million people. I don't remember the numbers, but the right. city is doing a lot to service a lot more people. But like, there there are some things that it totally gets wrong. Like if you look at one of the stops in Bellevue, it stops near the Mercer Slough, right? Where you know I I get the the desire for the city to protect like wetlands, right? But I don't know if you know this, Zane. The city of Bellevue operates a blueberry farm in the middle of fucking Bellevue. Oh my god! Right, and the light rail stop is next to this blueberry farm. You know what you can do? Tear down the fucking blueberry farm. <laughs> Put, you know, multifamily housing there. Solve a NIMBY problem. Great. Now all these people are directly on the yeah, light rail yeah. system. Yeah. You know, up north in Seattle, like when we go past like Northgate, I think on the way to Linwood, there's a light rail stop next to a graveyard. Mm. Now, unless we have dead people riding the light rail. Oh my God. Unnecessary. Don't need it. Not really helping. (laughs) That's fair. I hear you. I do think the problem with public transportation, in my opinion, my take is even when it's there, there's going to be a subset of the population who doesn't take advantage of it. So for example, I have some nameless friends in Chicago (laughs) who uh, live literally a stone's throw away from their train stop, right? I don't know what they call it in Chicago, whether it's a train or a rail or whatever, but the stop for them is like literally a block away. And they're not in favor of using it mainly because they feel like it's unsafe or it's dirty or, you know, unreliable. It doesn't get there on time. So I think even when the infrastructure is in place, there's so much more that needs to happen for it to be useful, let alone being like next to a graveyard or being near a blueberry farm, even when it's a a block away from where you live, uh, it could be problematic and not be useful because a subset of your population doesn't want to take advantage of it. And I, I think the same could be said for Dallas, right? Like I wonder with the DART in place, how many commuters actually use it versus the number of people who are still crowding up highways. What do you think, Sagar? Do you think um, the DART has made a noticeable difference over no. the term of a decade? No, no, not a chance. I think the DART system, and this is all anecdotal, uh, has not made a material impact. I think, Zane, you know this from Houston, like gas wins. Like the oil lobby has done its part. I think they've stifled public transportation growth. DART is honestly hard to use. I'll say from what I've heard and what I've seen, I've had friends like been robbed and mugged on the DART. Like for me, there's almost no reason to take it at this point. Like I'll look, either find a different way to get somewhere where I just won't go. Like, that's how bad it is for me. It's just not worth it. The other day we were looking to go downtown Austin from where I live, which is just like 15 minutes by car north of Austin. It would have taken me 45 minutes via train if everything ran smoothly, including 20 minutes of walking to get downtown, which would have taken me a 10 to 15 minute Uber. Like the alternative world of public transportation is just not there yet in Texas. I'm not sure most people would opt into that if they have, you know, a choice. I think governments also have a part to play in incentivizing uh, that people start taking the steps to using infrastructure when it's put in place. So, for example, in Seattle, um, I would say the cost of public transportation is fairly low. In addition, a lot of companies are paying for their employees to use it for free. So like my employer, for example, gives me a monthly card. That is at no cost for me, and I can use infinite public transportation for no cost. True. 
And in, in addition to incentivizing public transportation in that way, there also needs to be de-incentivizations to using cars. So I know both of you guys have gotten rid of a vehicle, but a part to play in that might also be like vehicle registration rates in your state. In Seattle, it's outrageous. In California, it's even more outrageous. So why pay that for two cars when you're not really using that and having those cars on the road? Or insurance, right? We could have insurance rates also de-incentivize people from driving but I don't see things like that happening in Texas for the reason that Sagar described, because I think lobbying may have a part to play, what the government wants may have a part to play, but those sorts of incentives and disincentives aren't happening. Um, what do you think about incentives, Sora? Yeah, no, I think you spoke about like, you know, your employer gives you like a free, uh, you know, bus pass. So does mine. And I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I think I believe the city of Seattle actually doesn't allow employers yeah. to fully pay for their employees parking. Oh, OK. So your employer may may be allowed to subsidize it, but you are forced to pay some out of pocket expense for parking, which is, again, you know, part of the legislation to disincentivize car ownership and like usage mm. of the car uh, outside of like legislation. I'll give you some activities that I do where I wouldn't dare take a car out. It's just so much more convenient for me to go public transit, right? Uh, so my, my wife's like a Husky. She went to UTUB. So we go to a couple of football games every year. Like I drive to the park and ride, which, you know, we can solve the last mile later. But then I take the train down, ride three stops to the Husky Stadium. It takes me 15 minutes to get there. Mm. Don't have to pay anything for parking. And I also happen to have a free commuter card. Don't have to pay anything for the game. Nice. When the game lets out, 15 minutes and I'm back on the train and back home. <laughs> I was actually talking to a couple of folks over Christmas. Charger stands, actually. You know, I was down in Orange County. Um, they pay $150 to park at SoFi Stadium. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Dead. Wild. I mean, that's working, right? That's disincentivizing that's you from driving. Parking is like something I will go out of my way an inordinate amount to not pay for. <laughs> if I if the easiest option is to pay for parking, I will try about 15 other things before I go back to that. I just, I don't, I, I can't stand by it. I hate paying for parking. Jeez. 150 is ridiculous. Okay. I think we talked a bunch about transportation as it relates to urban planning. We'll kind of round it out and talk about housing. Um, we'll touch on NIMBYism and how cities kind of plan out where housing needs to be developed. But there's clearly use you know, some cases like San Francisco, where the cost of housing is skyrocketing and homeowners have an incentive to not have affordable housing be placed in their area because it'll affect their property value. Um, hence the NIMBY movement, which is not in my backyard for folks who aren't uh, intimately familiar. But for people like me who don't own yet, um, that really, really screws you when you try and live in an interesting area. Like not ashamed. I'm in Seattle now. My rent, I think, is something like 2400 for something like 800 square feet and it's not bougie but i like the neighborhood shout out ballard um <laughs> but i feel like that's absurd when i compare to like houston where i lived in an excellent area really bougie new construction really big had all the amenities i wanted and i was paying like a fraction of that like half so price of housing, I think, has a big part to play with, with how cities need to be planned. And I think the astronomical, the rent is too high issue is uh, affecting how we're viewing city growth over time. Um, and I think we've got a variety of takes here. Sora, recent new homeowner, Sagar in the market, but also renting. 
what do we think? How does this relate to um, the state of our cities? Have, have you heard of uh, Yimbyism? I was actually surprised, like, uh, driving through Seattle, I saw a couple of folks, you know, with like, uh, you know, like the activist signs in their front yard. Ah. And they're like, you know, like Yimbys, like, yes, in my backyard. Oh. I think one of the things that constrains a city's ability to make policies how much they delegate to like local governments. Mm-hmm. And th- the reality is, if you're like like looking for affordable housing or like you know working a job, you don't have time to show up to these city council meetings where they <laughs> get to vote and plan for like you know proposed land use things like that. Mm. The homeowning boomers who have nothing better to do are going to show up to your city council meetings and like veto anything that changes how their neighborhood looks and feels right yeah nothing you know, we we have an opportunity if as you know homeowners or soon to be homeowners if you want to stand by these like progressive policies you can totally do it you can totally <laughs> you know like impact how land is used in your neighborhood yeah it's it's tough it's tough for me because yeah I feel like, so I, Saurabh, I'm very jealous. I've been trying to buy a house in Austin now, like four years running. Every year I get into the market and it's like too hot or I can't compete and we decide not to. And then every year I look back and regret not like pulling the trigger. Mm. This year we got close. We even put in an offer on a house and our agent basically said the selling agent just like laughed at our offer, which was like 30,000 over. We were like very friendly to the seller. Oh God. And we were like stretching ourselves so thin. It was like a very stressful week for us. And send him a fruit basket. For real though. I don't know. We like, <laughs> they just, they're, they're like, you weren't even close. Mm. And so that was just so discouraging for us. And I feel like, honestly, this could be a whole different pod. I, I might be okay just renting the rest of my life. I feel like there's just a certain security and knowing the fixed costs and maybe you've had it okay so far, Sora, but like sometimes things break and you have to maintain yourself. But I feel like in the role, or let me rephrase, I feel like the power the government has through legislation, through zoning laws is like not strong enough. Like our, our city and my neighborhood specifically has a lot of those ADA units you were mentioning with like a primary house and a small house in the back. Builders are now taking advantage of that law to build like 800 square foot houses that are their B units. I have one selling three houses away from me for what was originally listed at $900,000. Oh my God. It's an 860 square foot house, a one bedroom. And I'm not in a great neighborhood, frankly. And I think the price has dropped now. I think the B unit is $750,000. And the A unit is like 900 or something like that. But what I think is going to end up happening is some big corporation is going to buy that house. We know the amount of institutional holdings, like both funds and big companies that own these houses. They're going to be rented out for some astronomical number. And there's no way someone like me can compete with cash only buyers from California or these big corporations or funds that are looking to invest their money because there's nowhere else right now they're getting good returns. And... Like, yeah, there might be laws in Austin and I'm sure everywhere else around the country of like, you can't do short-term rentals, Airbnbs, but from everything I've read online, no one's enforcing that. Like people are airbnb their houses out, they're airbnb their B units, their garage units, and you're getting a whole different demographic because of it. And something that I think the government would like to control, or I would like the government to care about, they just seem powerless. There's nothing to be done. 
even if I showed up, either the dollars speak louder or like the loudest voice wins. And it's, it's just not me. Like you said, I don't have time. Mm. I don't even know if I wanted to like be active, what that would, you know, result in, but it's a very negative look. Uh, from yeah, a- there's a like an interesting experiment. I, I can't speak to it too much, but I know the city of Vancouver, like right across the border from us, uh, instituted a vacancy tax. Wow. Right? There were a lot of institutional holders or even either expats or foreign investors who look for safe havens in like the North American housing market, a lot more stable than like other countries that they're in. Uh, and they would just buy homes and not even rent it out, right? Which is like further right. uh, adding to the stress. So it'd be interesting to see. Like I personally can't speak for how effective that was, mm. but I know it's something like 3% is the vacancy tax. So if you own a unit, don't rent it out. That's what you're paying on top of your uh, yeah. property tax. Yeah, I mean, I have seen some sort of restrictions that could be placed by HOAs, which are more local in terms of their power and strength, right? It's not anything that's done through government or legislation. But for example, when I was in Beaumont, my HOA limited the number of units that could be rented out just to, you know, not, that has nothing to do with urban planning or nothing to do with extending housing opportunities to other people, but it has more to do with protecting the owner's own property value. But they put a cap on how many units within our HOA could be rented out. And I think it was set to 30% because once more than 30% of the properties in the association are rented out, it affects future buyers' ability to get uh, mortgages or some sort of backing. So in order to protect themselves and protect property values and future buyers, they were limiting renting, which limits, you know, cities' population's ability to find, you know, forms of housing when new construction's not happening. Um, So that's that's tragic also. I'll say one thing which we didn't get to because I think, I know we went on a tangent in housing and like affordability of homes. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the one other thing about de-urbanization is conscious like design to make cities safer and who and what you optimize for, right? Like I think City of Seattle did this experiment where they're like, oh, you know, uh, pedestrian fatalities have been going up. Mm. So let's, you know, carte blanche, just change the speed limit on all, all like non-arterial roads to 25. I think somewhat as high as 40. Yeah. So, I, you may know this. Yeah. If you've ever driven up on like uh, Westlake, it was a 40 street turned to 25 overnight. It's so slow. I always speed. <laughs> That's not going to do anything to deter folks from driving. I always speed on Westlake. <laughs> oh, no. And no, and that's what I want to talk to, right? Like, I think one of the things about, like, if, you know, if we're serious about reducing, like, pedestrian fatalities is being intentional about design. Like, the, one of the things you may notice, right, like, when you're driving on the freeway, you have your billboard space so far apart. That's increase readability of the signs. Versus if you've ever driven on a street where there's change of scenery every three feet and, you know, you have, you know, like trees and you go keep going between the shade and the light. Those are visual cues to drivers to help them slow down. Hmm. Changing speed limit from like as as much as uh, Zane hates the speed limit having dropped from 40 to 25, <laughs> it actually doesn't do much for like, tra- uh, it doesn't impact traffic throughput a lot, hmm. really, like the number of cars you can get through. Because, you know, during like maximum utilization, the speed of the road isn't more than 25 anyways. Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the things that the city could also do is like use their dollars wisely and be more intentional about design, right? Yeah. One of the things people dismiss when we talk about ur- like urban planning, city planning, traffic congestion, like a lot of cities, Austin too has, has been putting motions through 
they think like expanding access and lanes and roads means less congestion, but basically if I've missed any studies, forgive me, but everything I've read says you build more roads, more people will come. Yeah. So congestion basically doesn't change, may even actually get worse. Mm. And they're solving for the wrong thing. So you don't just add more roads to assume congestion will decrease. To Saurabh's point, there is an intentionality that's needed with the idea of mobility of people. Whereas like, instead of adding more roads so people have more throughways, let's design a city, let's design a space and a community where people don't need the road to begin with, where they can walk to school, to work, to groceries. And that I feel like is something that's just completely missed in a government's ability to execute on a city, not just because like maybe not a top priority, but there are corporations now that can buy land, can choose to build where they want. Like, yeah, they have to get contract and zoning and approval from the city. But hey, if you have a big pocket, like I bet the city will let you do kind of what you want. Um, so that idea of like building for mobility of people versus just maximizing throughput like I feel like it's missed on a lot of people and it feels like it's missed on in cities like Austin. Yeah, I think that sort of intentional design that both of you guys touched on is easy to build from the ground up when you're doing like a, a brand new build for something, but retrofitting within an existing city just sounds incredibly difficult on certain scales. So for example, like in the city of Houston, we cannot do anything about how it's laid out somewhat, right? Like you can't expect communities to stay within the community when I live in Sugarland and my job is in Houston. And I do that because I can't afford the housing in Houston. I can't deal with the education system that's in Houston. Thus, I have to go to Sugarland or Katy and deal with the commute. That's out of my control, right? And it's because the city has already been built that way. Retrofitting can only do so much. But I think on some level, there are some things that retrofitting yeah. can benefit, like can help benefit the community. And like, I think it's a, it's a really funny story about what Saurabh is trying to get done in terms of retrofitting on his own street. He, maybe I'll butcher the story and I will tell it. If I fuck it up, I'll let Saurabh tell it. But essentially in his neighborhood, many intersections have roundabouts and those roundabouts are excellent at controlling traffic and making sure that cars don't go fast and run over kids, right? Like, like that's an intentional design that's been put in place within his own neighborhood. His intersection does not have a roundabout. And uh, so they have, uh, he's been telling me, like when you come on my street, sometimes <laughs> oh, they yeah. have these, um, you know, have the cables on the ground to measure speeds of cars driving by. And he's like, Zane, the cables are down. I need you to drive fast on my street today so that they know and we'll get a roundabout one day. <laughs> <laughs> So it's small scale hacking of what the city's doing. That's hilarious. So we can get retrofits put in place, and I'm all for it. So um, hey, I will man. always grassroots. grassroots. I'll, I'll give Zane a piece of vocabulary because Zane loves when I throw these obscure terms out there. I do. I love it. Are you familiar with the term bollard? No. Okay, so I'm, I'll give you a Texas example. You know, like the plastic cones that stop you from entering the HOV lane. Okay. Yep. Right. Like those are bollards, right? A uh, simple retrofit that's used as part of like urbanization. Okay. Uh, protected bike lanes, right? How many times have you seen assholes just go park their car in a protected bike lane? Yeah. Put down bollards, right? Yeah. It's also, you know, the same thing with Westlake. 
people go so fast. If you put down bollards between the end of the lane and the sidewalk, yeah. one, you're going to reduce pedestrian fatalities. Right. And likewise on Aurora. Also, that's a visual cue for you to go slower. Yeah, I'm willing true. to bet you find 25 too slow on Westlake. The minute they put bollards down, you're going to be driving slower. Yeah, probably, probably. Sorab is long bollard production companies. So we should go out, everyone, <laughs> find your closest one, buy some stock. No, that's a good idea, though. I, I do. I, I will say for for every 10 working bollards, I feel like in the Texas highways, there's like five broken ones because people just drive right over them. Yeah. But no, point point taken for sure. All right. Uh, we'll wrap it up today with our fun hypothetical question. This one's going to be quick and easy and short. Um, so we talked about uh, the World Cup in my opening educational segment. So uh, what sporting event would you want to, you know, something global, not like a Mavs game because the Mavs suck, wow. but uh, something global that you can go to that uh, you'd be willing to drop some coin on, spend some money on. What sporting event and how much? What sporting event and how much? So <laughs> this is going to be such a stupid answer. Oh, God. But since I'll give two quick ones. Um, I think Olympics, this is not my stupid answer. I think Olympic swimming is something that I would love to go watch. I, I was not a swimmer, but I quite appreciate the skill it takes, mainly because it's unattainable in my mind. And these people are like superhuman in the water. Um, so that I would go to, and I, I pray, I pay a pretty penny. Are we talking like just admission into the event? Uh, sure. I, I think I'd be willing to like, this is the Olympics, like ideally some really good swimmers. I, I would drop like two to $3,000 to go see something like that. My fun answer. That's a little bit more silly. I didn't know this, but there's like a, a, a little league, like, <laughs> world cup for baseball like the little children like boys teams what like a japanese boys team will play like a lufkin texas boys team and there's like a world series for little league that's amazing i didn't know that existed but i would love to go to one of those games like the fact that a team from lufkin texas can play a team from japan i'm all about that like world sports for the win <laughs> so but for that i'd probably drop like maybe 500 yeah. 500 or less that sounds funny those are my two so Rob, you think you got one yeah, so the one I, I feel like I, I should have done, I'm just like very lazy right now, you know, maybe weather yeah. plays a part, is uh, I'm a Longhorn, uh, just as a Husky, and oh. Longhorns are playing the Huskies in a bowl game in what, two days time, three days time? Imminent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Alamo Bowl, San Antonio, we could have totally gone. We were like this close to booking tickets. Uh I definitely go if if B. John Robinson was playing, I would have 100% been there at the game. <laughs> but I'm actually excited. Like you know, I I know FIFA is all sorts of wrong, mm. but 2026 World Cup in North America. Yeah. Uh, Seattle is one of the host cities. So is Vancouver. So that's like a couple hours away. There's a chance. And, uh, I, I I would spend a couple grand, like even though I live in the city, so like you know I'm not even flying or anything, just on tickets. I'd be willing to spell, spend a couple grand. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. I love that. I love that. Zane. Mine is um snowboarding for the Winter Olympics. Not like X Games, but you know, the Olympics are staggered on four-year cycles. I'm thinking the next Winter Olympics, I'd, I'd do that. And you know, we were talking about what we'd be willing to spend on it. Initially, I was thinking, what would we spend total cost? And I feel like make a vacation out of it if it's somewhere 
interesting. Let's see where it is actually. Let's see where the next Winter Olympics are. So I'll I'll do you one better than the 2024 Olympics that are coming up. The marathon is an open event. Oh. So while for medal eligibility you do need to have qualified like through your country and you can show up and run the marathon yeah so not only at in paris 2024 not only can you attend you can participate in the olympics oh my god that's pretty crazy you ready to run a marathon oh no way you keep saying we have some bet about me running the marathon with you but i never signed up for anything like that and i refuse um but okay, so 2026 Winter Olympics are in Milan, wow. Italy. Are you joking? I'd, I'd drop major coin for entrance tickets to get to that. Uh, if I can see some snowboarding and go to Italy and be in Milan. Hold on. That, that's sick. I, a few grand at least I'd be able to That's do. a win-win. Love yeah. it. All right, Sora, we want to thank you for coming on. This was super fun. Love it. Uh you know, we like to pick our guests either by having a topic in mind that we know they'd be good for or pick a friend and pick a topic for them. And we were like, we have to get Sora. <laughs> and this topic just fits you so well. I'm glad we did it and appreciate you taking out the time right after coming from Orange County. Thanks, bud. Yeah, no, this is fun. Good luck with the podcast. and We need it. <laughs> Till season two, I guess. Till season two. Till season two. All right, big brain, small talk. Mm-hmm.